Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Courier, Bogan. Kylie O'Miller showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving hard down the alley and he scores. What a goal from Josh Bird. Caleb Trainer flips and scores. Yes. You're kidding me. By Dylan Ward. Gets topside. Rambo scores. Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Your go-to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives, as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here's your host, Hutton Jackson. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, Pro Lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of Pro Lacrosse Talk presented by Fanatics. I'm your host, Hutton Jackson. And today I'm joined by PLT contributor Brian Andrews, as well as Joe Keegan and Jake Watts of the PLL. And we are talking all things PLL College Draft. It's less than a week away, actually, as the time of this recording. So we are getting really, really close. Um, but before we kind of dive into the draft, we do have some other news from the PLL. They have an app that has just recently released, and I'm going to download it immediately after this recording because apparently it's now available on Android as well. But it was released on iOS a couple weeks earlier, and I know you guys are excited about the app and kind of to talk about it. Uh, one thing I'm really excited about is fantasy, but I'll let you talk a little bit about it, Jake. Uh, any thoughts on this app that just released, what people should expect if they haven't downloaded it already? Yeah, super excited about our new app that we just launched, completely owned and operated, built in-house, uh, which allows us to be very customizable moving forward and um, create experiences for the fans that they've been asking for. Um, really just a one-stop shop for everything PLL, from tickets to merchandise to academy to stats. Um, anything you need can be right at your fingertips and on the home screen of your now iPhone and Android devices. Like you mentioned, one new addition this year, uh, we will be launching a weekly fantasy game. Um, we are calling it Player Royale. Um, we are very excited to release this to the public. We think it's going to be a great way uh, for fans to get to get to know players more, be engaged with um, every single one of our games. Uh, we went with the weekly fantasy aspect this year to build out the concept and maybe in future years we can look into season-long uh, formats, but this year, you'll be picking five positions or five players in five different positions weekly um, based off a tiered-like system, um, similar to DraftKings, salary cap, and things like that. Instead of money, we're, we're using tiers. Um, this is to foster some strategic thinking and um, promote more diversity in roster selection. Um, so week to week, um, those tiers will change based off player performance. Um, super excited to roll this out, and I think the fans are going to love it. No, of course, I'm a fantasy fiend, so I'm certainly looking forward to it. I've enjoyed playing IL's fantasy game, um, and I like doing that you guys are doing the weekly because it will allow people to 
drop in, you know, if they maybe missed the boat the first couple of weeks, or maybe they miss a few weeks. Um, I know I've missed a few for IL. So it's nice, I think, to give people the option um, to play full season long, as well as hop in when they, you know, are available to do so. Certainly looking forward to that. Um, any other details with this app, Joe, that you kind of want to bring to, you know, potential listeners attention uh, if they haven't already downloaded it yet? Yeah, I think one of the cool things is that you can you can follow your favorite team like never before, right? One of the first things once you download the app um, is your ability to select your favorite team and then stay up to date with everything that happens, right? Whether it's, you know, your favorite team facing off, like that's personally for me, that's how I uh, stay in the loop with the uh, Celtics, you know, throughout the season. I, I'm not checking the schedule every single morning, but I'll get that push notification when the game starts, push notification when uh, there's a big Jalen Brown dunk or when there's a <laughs> trade, right? Uh, and that stuff just like finding its way to my lock screen. I want that type of information um, mm -hmm. like right there, like right on my watch. Um, I don't want to have to go like searching for it, you know, open up Safari and like one of my 40 tabs um, have like a stats tab here or, uh, you know, Celtics schedule there. Um, so being able to follow your favorite team, um, or just a league, if you don't have a favorite team, but, um, uh, being able to like select that and get that information that's tailored to you, uh, is, is one of the things that I'm most excited about. No, definitely. And I think too, with, you know, injury news, player movement, it's important, uh, for any fan to, to have, and, you know, if anyone's sports betters as well, I think that's big for them too, to kind of stay up on that news. Uh, so that way you can kind of react before the line moves, um, so betting side of things as well. I think it's great, but if you're following a favorite team, your team's about to add a few more players. This draft is coming up. It's going to be on ESPNU at 8 PM Eastern on May 10th. Looking forward to that. Uh, you'll have Clark and Boyle on as analysts and Chris Cotter as the host of this draft. So certainly looking forward to it. It's almost here. So let's kind of dive right in. I'll start with you, Brian. We're going to start, you know, kind of going pick by pick just in terms of teams, but we're more focusing on what teams, needs are necessarily and kind of what their targets could be it's not going to be a full mock um, but I think most of us if not all of us are in agreement that Chris Gray will be the number one pick the leading point scorer in NCAA lacrosse with 401 points now after that game uh, against Duke past week uh, Brian I'll start with you what were your thoughts on this addition of Chris Gray to the Chrome if they do take him number one overall and then what are some other needs do you think that they could address later rounds uh, yeah, I'm not going to waste any breath really arguing against a great pick or thinking someone could fill the role better. Uh, but especially with the announcement of like Jordan Wolf retiring, I feel like that's just a clear cut selection. Uh, he'll fit great anywhere. I think he's a really flexible player, but the Chrome are really interesting in general because obviously they, their whole team basically retired. So they have a lot of uh, needs to fill. And I think uh, one of the places that they had one of their biggest losses was actually at the long committee position. And I think a really great candidate for them in the second round is Kobe Smith to fill the void of, of Joel White, who was a huge assist for them on uh, baseoff wings, which I think uh, they need massive shoes to fill. Eli Salama could definitely fill those shoes, but I think having options for them would be really great. Uh, the Chrome also aren't really as great in transition historically. And with all of the people that they're losing, it's something they really, I think, need to focus on and something that gives a lot of teams big advantages in this league and for them to really compete they're going to need to keep up with that and I think Kobe Smith could really help them improve from being fifth in transition opportunities um and uh fifth fifth in face-off percentage with some additional wing ground balls so I think they're going to target uh 
Kobe Smith or an available LSM at that position, which I think might catch some people off guard as there are some high profile names coming out of this draft. No, absolutely. I think Kobe Smith would be a great pick for them. It'll be interesting to see if he goes in the first round. I feel like he's getting a lot of love recently, um, but for him, he's one of the, the, the polls that I could see kind of going, you know, maybe later in the second or as early as, you know, late in the first. So definitely interesting. Um, I don't hate that at all. I personally think, you know, they could also add some um, offensive firepower, whether it be another attackman um, like an Asher Nolting, if he's available on that lefty side, I know they have uh, um, Brendan Cavanaugh that's going to fill that void and Cole Williams, they picked up as well. But, you know, after that guttering trade, they kind of had a vacancy now on that left side. Um, so that's kind of why I like maybe Asher at, you know, if he's available, then I think he will be in the second round. Jack Hanna is another guy that's pretty versatile, I think would help um, that young midfield core that, you know, lost Ned Crotty this off season as well. Uh, Joe, your thoughts on the Chrome, obviously, you know, we, we talk about Chris Gregor, number one overall, but what are some other needs that you think they have uh, or targets that they might target in these later rounds? Yeah, I think it's likely that Chris Gray is going to go number one. Uh, like you said, that's that's their biggest need to get that go-to initiator. Uh, Brian hit the nail on the head. They need uh, an LSM. I'm not too sure that Kobe Smith will be there for their second pick, um, but we can get to that in a minute. Uh, I think their other need is is a lefty, like you said. Um, that's a hole that they had when when Gutterding got traded. It's a hole they had when Gutterding was on the roster. Good Justin Gutterding wasn't shooting the ball well, um, so they they needed to address that position um for some time now um and obviously the best fit in this draft at that position is logan wisnowskis um who's really more in the conversation for the number one overall pick than he is for number nine so uh, if they don't take logan wisnowskis number one overall are they going to get another chance at him uh, do they have the ability to trade back into the first round like we saw uh, so many teams doing that NFL draft, right? Um, identifying the guys that they liked and trading in to get them. Um, not so sure there, but I think that uh, it, finding a lefty, um, whether it's Wisnowskis or someone, a steal in one of the later rounds, uh, there's plenty of plenty of super senior goal scorers uh, at that lefty position who could crack this uh, roster. Uh, finding a lefty in an LSM, and then you touched on it a little bit, but uh, potentially a goalie in a deep goalie class. I would put that as probably their fourth need. Uh, but if, if they can come out of this draft with a go-to initiator, a lefty, an LSM, and a, another goalie, I think that's a win for Chrome. No, definitely. And I, I'm of the belief that Scannoni is their guy, but certainly there's a lot of goalies coming out. Uh, it wouldn't be you know bad to add another one, have some competition between Scannoni and Washuda heading into training camp. Uh, Jake, what are your thoughts on the Chrome? Anything that we haven't hit on that you kind of want to touch on? Not too much to color in. I think uh, if there were betting odds on Chris Gray to go number one, he'd probably be minus 150 minimum. Um, <laughs> that's like how much of a need they uh, have at that position. Need a quarterback on the offensive end. But honestly, this is a team with the most needs to fill. You can pick any position and they could probably upgrade at. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of it was uh, colored in by you guys. But the, um, really, hopefully they can – maybe wait off and, to, and get lucky with Wisnowskis in the second round, but I just don't see that happening. No, definitely. And, you know, last year, the Atlas had the top pick in the draft. More discussion last year, I think, between Sowers and Teat. Um, but, you know, Matt Moore is right there as well in the discussion with Chris Gray as these top uh, prospects in this draft. We'll go back to you, Jake, with the, the Atlas. 
Where do you think the Atlas kind of go in this draft? They have two picks in the first round, so they can select somebody at second and then get somebody at fifth as well. Um, is Matt Moore their guy at number two, or do you see them, you know, going in a different direction? If Matt Moore is there too, I think they take him for sure. They could use an upgrade at the midfield position. Um, their midfield didn't perform as well as it could have last year. I think we saw that in the quarterfinal game against uh, the chaos scoring less than 10 points in that game, found some areas where they could improve on for sure. Uh, Matt Moore, pretty uh, malleable player can play a lot of positions and that's needed in a one four one, right? It's like he can play that wing. He, he can play that uh, top mid dodging midfielder or slide into that crease area if needed. Mm -hmm. um, so if, more is available at two. That's a lock. And what about you, uh, Brian? What are your thoughts on maybe not necessarily number two, but number five? I think it gets a little bit more interesting. Um, what are some guys you think they could take at number five if Matt Moore is number two? Quickly on on Moore, uh, I think Jake hit the nail on the head describing how he could like kind of meld to fit whatever the the existing flow of the Atlas team is because that's something that the Atlas team uh, has struggled with in the 19 and 20 seasons where they've been like really loaded with offensive talent, but it didn't always fit quite well. Uh, they don't really have to worry about that as much in my opinion and Jake's opinion uh, with that pick. So I feel like that's a pretty big lock at five though. I've seen multiple, I, actually all the drafts that I've seen have had Kobe going to the Atlas at five, which um, I don't really, I don't really see the argument for it. And quickly I'll just kind of counter it. Uh, the Atlas are already number two in fast break possessions, which Kobe would be a pick to increase some, you know, transition frequency or, or opportunities. Um, Chick has been awesome on the defensive end and up on the faceoff wing, and they also have Logan. And, and Chick and Logan on the faceoff wings ha, uh, combined are better than most of the faceoff units in the league in terms of getting the ball to the offensive side of the field. Um, and even when Chick's not on the field, they have Pless and Newbold who I don't understand how you can't be happy with that, uh, with that setup as the Atlas. And if I'm picking Kobe, I want, I, I'm going to want him up top just based on his play style. I don't, I don't think he's going to be the person you want uh, bringing in as maybe Tucker Durkin is going out. He's, you know, only signed through the 22 season. He's kind of going to be a sooner rather than later need to fill for them. So for that reason, I think they're going to try to go after a close defenseman at five. Um, and that can be heavily influenced by the three and four, four picks for the, the uh, Woods and Archers, depending on which position they decide to go for. Uh, but, you know, if Arden Cohen's there, I, I say they take him. But I think, I think they're going to focus on a close defenseman at five is my point. Yeah, I think Kobe Smith can play close defense. We saw him match up one-on-one -on -one pretty damn well with Pat Spencer in 2019 down low. Uh, he has plenty of experience covering behind the cage. Um, and in this league, we've seen close defensemen run, uh, most, most notably Jared Newman back in 2019. But he played close defense that entire year and sparked plenty of transition. So um, if you put Kobe Smith down at close, up at pole, um, I think he's an upgrade for them at pole, and I think he has enough versatility that he could play close. Uh, and his his decision making, uh, I don't know that there's a better passing pole in college lacrosse right now. With with all of the picks that Atlas has, I don't think that they have a ton of needs right now, uh, just based on how well they performed last year. Um, if they can get two of the best players available and Matt Moore and Kobe Smith, then those two and five picks uh, would be huge.
And uh, to, to note, Coach Rubio does have some history with Kobe Smith as well. Um, coached him a little bit. So there is some history there prior. Um, I think the other reason, too, why, uh, you know, if the Atlas don't grab him at number five, you know, the chaos are going to grab him, I think, with one of those two picks because they have a need at pole as well. And he's their type of guy, I feel like, that can get up and down the field, push and transition. Um, so unfortunately, I don't know how well that works for, you know, Chrome uh, getting him. But uh, I definitely think his stock is rising, as you guys said. Um, and we mentioned Cohen a little with the Redwoods. So let's go over to the Redwoods. Um, Brian, do you think they go with Cohen at three, or do you think they maybe look in a different direction, offensive side of the ball? Um, you know, it's for me, I, I like Cohen here, not just because he's an Notre Dame guy, but I just think he's the best pole available, um, close defender. And I think he would be an upgrade over Finn Sullivan, not to take anything away from Finn Sullivan and that Redwoods defense that's been uh, stout, even in the absence of Matt Landis. But uh, what are your thoughts on what the Redwoods do at number three? I'm really torn for the Redwoods uh, between probably Cohen because uh, he'll still be there, presumably, uh, and Montgomery. Uh, I think that, you know, adding some depth to their midfield and a guy that I think personally would fit into their offensive scheme, which is very iso-dodging heavy. Uh, I think he'd fit in really well, well there and would be able to beat his matchups. And I think that would really assist the Redwoods offense. So I, I don't really, I don't have a good grasp, but those are the two things that I think that we'll be looking for in the first two rounds for the Redwoods is either a defensive or a midfield and which side they choose first. I, I feel like could be a coin flip. Uh, maybe I'd give Cohen better odds of going first though. And Jake, what are your thoughts on at number three? Um, I know you, you're eyeing a guy that, you know, is getting talked about in the first round, but maybe not as high as three uh, by most people. Uh, what are your thoughts on what the Redwoods do at number three? I think Cohen is a natural fit there. Um, could use an upgrade at the pole position, but one guy I'm really looking at for the Redwoods based off just strictly need is Jonathan Donville. I think I've been super impressed with his play this season, especially off ball. Um, just vividly remember the Virginia game where he, he had three kind of good spacing off ball goals. That is a huge need for the Redwoods. You know, when we think back to, all the playoff games and close game situations that they have, they get stagnant within the last minute, two minutes of the game, because they have a lot of Dodgers that end up um, being right on top of each other. And they don't have that guy who is able to fill those vacant uh, spots for where Sergio and miles are, are dodging off of. And so like, I think about that position of miles dodging down the right side, rolling back, hitting Donville on the high crease area for a off ball, off ball goal. So um, I, yeah, maybe high for three, but they don't have another chance at him until round three. And I don't think Donville falls to round three. So it's like, no. <laughs> if you really are trying to fill a need like that, you would maybe going a little high at three here for him. Um, but so the Cohen and, um, Donville are two guys I would look at for the Redwoods for sure. No, absolutely. I, I like that a lot. He was the number one pick in the NLL draft last year. He'll play with Panther City. And um, I think, you know, he's getting a lot of love for the first round, but maybe not as high as three. And I, I think he made a good case for why, you know, we could see him go as high as three. Uh, Joe, what are your thoughts kind of on what the Redwoods do? Yeah, I think this is really the first domino to fall. We talked about uh, Gray going number one, Matt Moore going number two. This is the pick that I could see going in a few different directions. Um, most likely Arden Cohen to slide into that defense and, and really take some of those number one matchups to free up Eddie Glazner and Garrett Apple. But if not Arden Cohen, I think Logan Wisnowskis at this point would be the best player available. You can make the case that Logan Wisnowskis is the best 
overall player in the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he might win the Tuarton. Uh, you have to consider him at number three. I think it's tough with Matt Cavanaugh, Ryder Garnsey, Charlie Bertrand on that lefty side. Um, but Matt St. Laurent has never shied away from adding an offensive toy and, and making it work. Uh, a lot of people doubted that he could make it work, bringing in Rob Pinnell and bringing back Jules Henningberg in 2021, and they had the league's best settled offense. So maybe they add another weapon there, um, or maybe to Brian's point, they add Nakai Montgomery and Maybe maybe they deploy Nakai in a role, um, and maybe Sergio Perkovic gets back to a role, right? With with Nakai in the mix, um, they would have so much midfield depth that maybe they they have some of those guys in a flex midi role to really give themselves that spark and transition that they've lacked really since 2019. I think they came out of the gates flying in the first season and got a reputation for being a team that runs. It's really not the case. They might be the most settled six-on-six team on both ends uh, in the league. They don't run off TDs, wins. I think they could put Perkovic on the wings more for TD um, to create some early offense. But last year, they scored less than a goal per game uh, on fast breaks, by far the lowest in the league. Some some teams are tripling them up on fast breaks. So uh, to Jake's point earlier about them stalling later in games i think they uh they, they probably need to get some of those easier goals earlier in the games by having better athletes on the field and, and better playmakers moving from defense to offense so uh you have to consider nakai there just like mm-hmm. you have to consider wisnowskis and arden cohen uh and whatever this decision ends up being uh whether it's one of those three whether it's uh someone else whether it's a trade is really going to dictate the tempo for the rest of the draft no, absolutely. And I think it directly, uh, you know, affects the archers who really you know, their strongest needs are maybe guys that they're not going to get in that first round because it'd be a reach. Um, and I feel like at this point, they'll probably take the best player available um, in that fourth spot. Um, you know, they, they have a need to face off. I think that's well documented. They're bringing in Tyrell Hammer Jackson after trading away Stephen Kelly uh, this off season. So obviously, you know, they have that, they have Connor Gaffney as well. I don't think those two are long-term fits for them. You know, we'll see, maybe they'll impress this off season or this season. Um, but I think that that's definitely neat. And, you know, filling in the void um, of Drew Adams and goalie as well. But again, I don't think we'll see them address those needs in the first round. Brian, where do you think they go with this number four pick? Do you think they take, you know, whoever the best uh, offensive player is available uh, after, you know, those guys go, or maybe even Cohen too, you know, a, a defensive player um even though they, their defense was one of the best in the league it wouldn't hurt um what are your thoughts kind of on what the archers do here at number four yeah this one is probably the most confusing it go the most ways uh as the dominoes are falling uh i do think well one they have to also address the jackson place retirement uh because now they're lacking some depth uh down low uh i don't think they go after a goalie first round I think the two things that are most likely to happen are also a defender or, or a midfielder, not to be a broken record. Um, and they could go for Nakai Montgomery, or I think a, a cheekier pick for them would be Donville. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the archers are kind of, I don't know if it's surprising or not, but they're the third most efficient two man game offense in the league, but they don't really have uh, many two-man game initiations, not as many as other teams, but they're really efficient. And I think adding a guy like Donville could increase the versatility of that offense, get them more uh, opportunities in their most efficient offensive set and really help them. And I think that would kind of, if Donville falls here, uh, falls down to here, 
Uh, I think that could be like a steal away from the chaos, you know, taking a guy away that could really just automatically fit into their system uh, for a lot of really obvious reasons. Uh, so like they could go a lot of ways, but I think that's my funnest pick for them. But I, I think it's uh, probably midfield or defense first. And even though there's a giant hole to fill up face off, I think you could wait till the second round to try to address that need. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and yeah, I, I think, you know, they're going to kind of have a, a good opportunity to get an impact player, um, even though this team, you know, like we said, is pretty well set other than the two positions that we mentioned. Uh, Jake, you know, with the assumption that Donville is taken at three, who do you like the Archers taking at number four? I really like Nakai at this spot. Last year, the formula to beat the Archers was slow to go. And to me, that's because anybody outside of Grant and Tom Schreiber was having difficulty winning their matchups, right? It's like, you need guys who can get a step or two on their individual matchups to get the defense to start rotating. So you can get the ball to those off ball shooters like Marcus Holmans and Will Manny's of the world and not really rely strictly on um, Tom Trevor to beat his matchup from, from up top. And so it's like you get a guy in Nakai Montgomery who can probably win his matchup against anybody in the league. And so he's creating a slide automatically from the box. And so that's a guy that I look to uh, potentially uh, add to that team a lot of athleticism can create can get back on defense I think uh, Joe mentioned earlier the Redwoods are you know, strictly six on six that's kind of similar to uh, the Archers as well right they get their six guys on they and then uh, get their short stick de- defensive midfielders on but he's a guy that can sink back into that defense create transition um, for an offensive possession uh, if it was a turnover on the other end but if Nakai's there at four, um, they have a pick of the litter here, but he would be a great addition to that team just because of his um, athleticism, his ability to beat matchups, which was sorely needed last year. Jake hit on it that that slow to go defenses really took it to this Archer's offense. Um, not just last year, but for the past couple of years, we've seen chaos knock out the Archers with that defensive strategy. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them add an offensive weapon. I think they probably thought that Connor Fields was going to be that guy in those matchups that would take a short stick matchup and, and win it regularly. Um, I'm not quite sure that that he was to the degree that he was in 2019 for chaos. So I think that whether it's Logan Wisnowskis or Brendan Nickturn here, I like Nickturn as, as a two-handed guy um, who, who gives the archers something a little bit different than what they have um, in a Trey LeClaire or Ryan Ambler, right? Um, who are both probably one-handed guys who are better off the uh, off the redodge opportunity. I think that bringing in a guy like Brendan Nickturn uh, could really be a spark for this offense. Um, and then, and look for the for the archers. The goal is to get past chaos and, and to to finally win this championship. And and um, I I think that they can do that with Adam Gittleman engaged. I think that they need another piece on offense and. Um, Really, the piece on offense and, and the face-off position are the only question marks. Just not sure that they can answer face-off position in this mm-hmm. draft. If they could, they would at four, um, but they might not even be able to answer it at uh, at 12. There might not be anybody worth taking there. Um, so we'll see uh, when they get their guy. I'm sure they'll draft a face-off guy, how, how he translates to the PLL rules, um, but there's no – there's no TD Erlin in this class. So uh, it, it's going to be tough. They might be waiting another year 
uh, to try to get Mike Sisselberger. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Nick Turn because I feel like he's been one of the best players of the college season so far, but due to his military, you know, potential military commitments, maybe not getting as much talk about him. But, you know, we see a Johnny Serdic come in and, and played uh, quality minutes his first year and then obviously was a huge part of that team last year. So I think we've seen that. Obviously, it depends on the individual, but um, service academy grads can still make an impact in pro lacrosse uh, pretty early on and for a long time as well. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned Nick Turn as well as Wisnowskis because I think those are two guys, maybe the chaos target, although they also need a guy at pole. So let's kind of move to them here at number six. They have a pick at six and eight. So pretty much whoever they take at six, they want to you know keep them away from the whip snakes potentially, um, which you know maybe that is Wisnowskis. Also, they have that pick at eight as well. So other than the whips, they don't really have to worry. It's almost, you know, they're close to getting back-to-back picks there. Um, I'll flip it back to you, Jake. What do you think the chaos kind of do in this draft? We mentioned that they need a poll, um, but do you think they take a poll at number six or number eight? Or do you think, you know, if Cohen's already off the board or Kobe Smith's already off the board, that they might look elsewhere? It must be nice to be defending champs to get two picks in the first round. Um, <laughs> Pick of the litter here at six. Um, I think they go Roman Puglisi here. Um, you can't keep playing this game where you expect Blaze to make 20 saves a game. And initiation starts from the midfield. Every single offense is predicated on attacking the short six uh, defensive midfielders. That's a position that could use an upgrade for them. Um, you're able to get a guy who can win that matchup, not create slides. That's less shots on the MVP of the league. Um, and so I think that's a lock there for them at six and one to your point of, of potentially stealing that away from the whip snakes as well. Yes. They have Ty Warner back. Will he be the same player? Um, tough to tell. We'll see. And, but the rest of their, their guys, Hayes freshly new, didn't make too much of a mark last year. And the other two guys are pretty long in the tooth, 35 for Matt Abbott and 32, uh, for, for Jake Bernhardt. Right. And short stick defense midfield is a young man's game. You've got to be on top of your um, athleticism, um, your conditioning to be able to stay in front of these uh, top tier athletes. And so that's a position I could definitely see them um, taking at seven. So chaos taking Roman at six would prevent him going to the whips where um, they have proven in the past to place an emphasis on defense. So that's who I would go there at six and then probably take the best available poll there at eight, whether that's uh, Kobe or, or potentially Arden wherever that wherever the uh, chips fell before that no definitely and uh joe what are your thoughts kind of uh, are you kind of in agreement and if they let's say kobe and cohen are off the board um you know time when six and eight rolls around uh who do you think is the next best poll available for uh this chaos team yeah i think that i think jake's right that that add in a d midi here is is uh, an obvious need for the whips too. So um, something that I could see chaos doing at six. If you look at the chaos's best defensive performances, they've had somewhere to kind of hide their D middies, right? They triple pulled Atlas in the semifinals, hid their D middies on Eric Law, on Jake Carraway, uh, the, against the archers, right? There were two off ball guys where they could hide those D middies. Uh, when we've seen this defense struggle and let up all those shots that blaze sees uh, to Jake's point is against teams that have six guys who can run by you, the water dogs, the redwoods, those types of teams. So uh, all credit to the champs. Uh, they, they, 
you know, won it in 2021. They probably had like a, a good matchup of offenses to go against based on their defensive strengths. But I think they do need a better D midi um, in this mix for some of those tougher matchups. Uh, as in, in terms of polls, it's tough. I think that uh, I, I do think that Arden Cohen and Kobe Smith are going to go in those top two. So whoever chaos goes with um, is probably, you know, it, it's, it's probably not going to be necessarily the consensus top poll uh, available, but it's going to be the top poll that fits their scheme, the top poll that can uh, really play one-on-one -on, -one on an Island uh, that army style of defense uh, that, uh, obviously Johnny Serdic fit in with so well, uh, but they're, they're not going to bring in a, a guy who's like a, a help defender um, or who's going to need help. They're going to bring in somebody who can, who can hold their own. So uh, Clark had Brett Kennedy and his mock falling there. I could see that um, he, he definitely has that versatility between pole and close defense. Mm. Uh, but if if Kobe Smith and Arden Cohen are gone, I think there's a drop off after those couple polls in this class. No, I definitely agree with that. And Brian, kind of your thoughts. Um, obviously, you know we mentioned that they need some defensive help, but uh, if those two guys are unavailable, do you think they, um, you know, go short stick defensive mini defender, or do you think they maybe take an offensive guy? Uh, I really like the point about the short six D, D mid and how they've like strategized around that, especially against the Atlas, which is heartbreaker for me personally but uh yeah I agree that they go for like a pull at eighth uh they're they're in a great spot that they can do that because I'd feel pretty confident that the whips maybe don't do that with their seventh pick kind of a different perspective maybe uh for the sixth pick which I don't think is really likely but I think it would be really interesting for them is something that they have struggled with is that the faceoff backs and particularly with their wings and I think adding a uh kind of like a not a two-way midi but kind of like a a Costabile type athletic get up and down the field can go back if they need to uh, type of midfielder. Uh, that would be really helpful for them uh, at the stripe. And also it would help them reduce uh, the amount of goals they let up in transition because they are six in D efficiency in transition. And that could be a place that could really help them. Do I see them going there at six? Maybe not. I think I like the short stick defensive midfielder pick better but like a pick like Jack Hanner or something could be like a really interesting pick maybe later in the draft even. Yeah. I like that Jack Hanna pick because I'm pretty high on him. Um, but I, you know, not first rounder material. I don't think maybe unless they take, you know, chaos, take him eighth. Um, I like the Chrome maybe to take him at nine, even that might be a little bit high though. Um, but um, I do agree with you in terms of, I think Hannah is a guy to definitely keep on someone's radar. I feel like he's going to be a steal depending on where he ends up um, just because I don't see him, you know, going in the first round, you know, we mentioned uh, Wisnowskis and Nick turn kind of dropping in. If we're talking about those guys dropping in the first round, um, that doesn't create a lot of room for some of these other offensive guys that are up there. Um, but moving on now to the whip snakes, uh, a lot of the, the trendy pick is Wisnowskis to the whip snakes. And it's definitely possible that it happens. I think he might go earlier than that. Um, but let's assume that he, he doesn't, you know, fall to seven to the whip snakes. Where do the whips kind of go here, Joe? Do you think uh, they take an offensive guy? Do you think they add some pole depth? Um, you know, if Roman Puglisi is off the board, uh, who do you think they kind of target in that short defensive midi role potentially? Uh, if Puglisi and Wisnowskis are off the board, uh, 
They probably should be, uh, but uh, <laughs> that probably means Don or you know, uh, you know, Montgomery are probably available too, though. So the Whipsnakes are kind of in a good spot that if two of those top candidates are off the board, they're probably getting a good guy regardless, though, right? Totally, yeah. With all the names that we've mentioned, um, if those two guys are gone, then somebody who we've been talking more about um, is going to be there for the Whips. Uh, I do think Wisnowskis will definitely be gone by seven. If he's not, then I, th- I think he's. He's the pick. We've seen him play off Jared Bernhardt. We've seen him wear number one. You can plug him into your offense. Uh, you just have to take him from a best player available standpoint at seven if he falls there. Uh, but if he doesn't, I do think that that uh, they do need to get more athletic and younger at D midi. Uh, they need to get better at, at offensive and defensive mid. Uh, but I think we'll see a huge year from Connor Kurz to spent all last spring playing attack at Rutgers and then all last summer trying to adjust uh, to play midfield in the pros, which is the single toughest position uh, to make the jump from college to pros is midfield um, offensive midfield. So mm-hmm. Connor Kirst, uh, Chris Islanian, a couple of those guys will get a better chance this year uh, to take over, take, take the torch from Mike Janichuk and John Haas um, obviously Brad Smith is one of the best in the world at that position. So I do think they probably have more depth there than, uh, their, their depth going into 2022 is, is above where their performance was in 2021. So I think D mid, even with Tyler Warner back, uh, he's the guy takes 10 biology classes at a time right now. I'm sure he's gonna, he's super competitive. So he's going to come into camp, uh, in great shape, but, uh, they, the fact of the matter is last year uh, they needed two demits, right? So mm-hmm. even if Tyler Warner is at his 2020 um, hard hat demit of the year level, uh, he's not two demits. So uh, that Roman Puglisi for me is the pick. And yeah, if, if Wisnowskis and Puglisi are both picked, then, uh, th- then the whips are going to be in pretty good shape. They're going to have their pick and some great players. No, definitely. And I'm glad you mentioned curse too, because uh, like we said, midfield is tough to, to crack into. He's been playing uh, defense with the swarm in the NLL. I think that's going to benefit his game coming in the summer. He'll be in good shape. Uh, so that could be, we could see a jump from him. And I've been high on Christmas Lanian who can kind of play both, uh, you know, righty and lefty too. He's versatile. So um, the, the, the whips are going to be in good shape. I think uh, maybe let's look at some later rounds too, for the whips. Um, is Bubba Fairman another Maryland guy that maybe you think they could target uh, in later rounds? You know, we don't think he's going to be a first rounder, but, you know, let's say Puglisi is not there. Do you think he would be a, a good impact player that the Whips could uh, draft, Joe, if he's in available later rounds? I think it'd be a good impact player for anybody to target. I think mm-hmm. that his um, a lot of the things that that coaches evaluate are, are the soft skills, right? Everybody has like the, the stick skills or the athleticism to translate to the next level, but um the soft skills of like what what type of locker room guy are you i think bubba fairman's switch to d mid um not just going into this year but after after injuries you know in february right he didn't spend all fall while playing d mid he he made the jump because it was the best for the team the Mm -hmm. team hasn't missed a beat so anytime you can add a guy like that to your locker room um with the versatility and the willingness to be versatile is going to be really impactful and uh that's that's just that's probably 
the guy who can make an impact from day one. We saw it with Ryan Tarifanko and Danny Logan, who were second round picks last year, probably should have been top five picks mm-hmm. if we're being honest and going back and redrafting maybe top six last year's class was loaded, but um, they should have been first round picks. Right. So you look at Fairman, I think there's, there's no team that, uh, that, that shouldn't have him on their boards. Right. Everybody should be considering him. No, absolutely. And two teams we haven't talked about because they don't have a pick in the first round are the water dogs and the cannons. Cannons chose to make a lot of moves this off season. Water dogs kind of did that the off season prior and it paid off for them. I'll go to you, Brian. Uh, where do you think the water dogs kind of target in this draft? No really big needs um, other than maybe some depth ads, I think at LSM or, or face off, but uh, you know, kind of where do you think the water dogs target maybe more of a position group that you think they're going to target instead of a player that they're going to target? Uh, I think, I think LSM is like a good point. Just give uh, Reese, you know, a dedicated backup. We've seen, you know, teams with multiple LSMs that they're able to rotate through have that benefit them. Not everyone needs it, I guess. Um, but even, even the whips could add that. So I think both teams could be in the running in later rounds for like a Ryan McNulty or something, uh, I think, which would help both of them. Uh, you know, with Withers, like really scrappy face-off style, uh, maybe bring in a young guy uh, to back him up at the stripe, you know, just as a depth add or something. But like you said, I don't think there's a lot of desperate holes that they need to fill. So it's a good thing that they're not drafted until the second round. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe they, they take a flyer on Inacio, uh, another Buckeye at the face-off stripe. Um, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts, Jake, on the Water Dogs? Uh, you know, obviously they're pretty set heading into this season, uh, but MGM has them as the favorites. I think they're the third favorites uh, odds-wise on DraftKings. But uh, what are your thoughts on the Water Dogs and what they do in this draft? I think they could probably address the midfield position, lose a guy like uh, Drew Snyder this, this year. Um, potentially could see a guy like Jack Hanna falling to them um, mm-hmm. at pick number six in the second round. I think if he, if he's there, you take him. Um, and then the guy we just talked about, Bubba, Bubba Fairman, um, probably fits the water dog mold perfectly. A two-way guy who can play both offense and defense. Um, we know that coach um, loves those types of, loves those types of players, keeping them on the field. Um, so those are two guys that I would uh, potentially look at and address the midfield position. Um, come their pick in the second round. No, makes sense. And Joe, any thoughts on the water dogs or should we kind of talk uh, cannons to wrap this thing up? Yeah, I guess the water dogs, uh, they got, they got Michael Sowers coming in, which is like the classic mm-hmm. Kevin White. Um, they said they got a first round pick, you know, they did, they're not picking in the first round, but they essentially have the number two overall pick coming in. Uh, so starting the draft on the right foot. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And in terms of the cannons, uh, you know, they're a team that has the fewest draft picks and that's because they chose to make some moves, uh, you know, this off season, they had Jake Fricaro to the midfield. They had Ryan Tierney to this attack. He can also run out of the box as well. Um, you know, I, I think they could add another midfielder, you know, the fact that Rabel and Busick both retiring, leave some holes there. Um, but Joe, where do you think the, the cannons, the former Boston cannons kind of go, um, you know, later in this draft or kind of maybe their thoughts overall on their off season moves? Overall, their offseason moves, right? They've already uh, they've already started their draft. That's why we probably haven't been talking about them too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but they started their draft by trading for Tierney and by trading for Stephen Kelly. Like, if we're, mm-hmm. I'll kick it back to you. Where do you think Ryan Tierney would go in this class if he was being drafted this year? Uh, this year, yeah, I I think he'd probably 
be in the discussion for a first rounder, you know, late first rounder, maybe even second. So I think, I think whether they trade a, a second rounder for him or. If they traded, uh, they traded picks 26 and 20 and they got back uh, Tierney and in, in pick 23. So. Yeah. So I think that's a, it was a great trade for coach Quirk there. And um, I think this offense, you know, the, f- the more free flowing offense kind of with Lyle kind of being the center of it is, is a better fit for Ryan Tierney um overall so I, I think we could see him you know kind of surge a little bit in this this season compared to last year um so yeah I, I think it, it, that was a great ad I think you mentioned Stephen Kelly I think that gives him you know an upgrade at the face-off stripe I think Kelly still has some stuff to prove um but bringing in Alex Woodall as well is a great tandem I think you could make a case that they have a top three face-off tandem with those two guys um maybe maybe top three top four um just on you know neither of those guys I would maybe rank up in the TD Earl and Jake Withers, um, Trevor Baptiste realm, but they've competed against those guys. They've done well against those guys. And you have those two guys now on your roster. It really gives them a a different change of pace. So I like that move. Um, What are your thoughts, Brian? You know, face-off wise, I I think they're set. You know, do you think they add some depth at LSM? Brody Merrill probably only has a couple more seasons in them. You know, they target the defensive end. I don't know. What are your thoughts kind of on the cannons? Um, you know, maybe again, not player specific since we don't know who's going to be available at the time, but, uh, their, their needs in the draft. Uh, I don't ever want to assume when Brody Merrill's going to retire because <laughs> as of right now, it doesn't seem like he's ever going to, uh, depth of pole could be a good fit for them. The cannons were such like an anomaly to me last year. Like they, you know, aside from a few pieces that I think they're addressing with trades, like we're already discussing, I think. I think they had all the pieces to put it together. And I just think that they couldn't figure it out in some cases. Um, there are a couple games that they really had under control, except for like their fast break defense. And, uh, you know, sometimes they just weren't able to put it together uh, on offense, even though they had one of the more efficient offenses in the league. Uh, so I think just having another year together and, and the additions that they've already had, I think, it's hard for me to make a decision about what to address first for them in the draft mm-hmm. or, or how much impact that would have, because I, I do think that they have a really good team put together. And I think it just lacked a little bit of cohesiveness in year one. So I don't, I don't really have an opinion to be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah, no. And since they are picking in later rounds, it kind of uh, it's, it's going to be maybe a best player available, you know, situation for them. Um, well, that wraps up kind of our eight teams. I'll go around the horn one more time and see you guys, any, any parting thoughts, hot takes, last uh, words you want to get off uh, before we wrap this podcast. We'll start with you, Jake. Uh, what, what, what are you thinking this draft wise? Any parting takes? Uh, I think it's an exciting class. Um, I think thing about this year is there's a ton of co- competition to make rosters, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, rosters are pretty much already set for these guys, so it's going to be tough to break through. So you, you've really got to prove yourself in, in training camp. Um, in order to make that 19 man roster come into the season, even for these like first round picks that we're, that we're, that we're really high on. Right. It's like you, you've got to uh, make a statement to get a spot in this league. And so um, I think that's great for the future of the sport, tons of talent to go around um, and really excited to see these NCAA championships, to see these guys who stand up in these pressure time situations. Um, and then we're going to see those diamonds in the rough, the Steven Rafuses picked in the fourth mm-hmm. round and our, you know, we look back and be, she should have been a first round pick. Right. So who's that guy going to be this year um, is, is what I, what I uh, always look forward to. No, definitely. What are your thoughts, Joe? Yeah. I like that point by Jake. Um, Steven Rafus, 
Charlie Bertrand, Jackson Morrill, the list could go on. Like there was, uh, it wasn't just, um, it wasn't just a last year thing. It wasn't just like a Stephen Rafus thing. There were, there were several guys um, who stepped up. So excited for 32 kids to get their chance. Um, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully the teams find guys who fit their needs uh, that we discussed. And, and some of these guys can uh, have, have some great long careers. Excited to see them on the field this summer. No, absolutely. Especially with all these retirements, you know, getting a little bit of a change of the guard. Um, you know, a lot of guys, young guys already in the league that are stepping up, but uh, you know, might be some new faces of the league coming in as well. Brian, parting thoughts on this draft. Um, I'll end the episode with a hot take. That's totally unnecessary. I think that <laughs> Rubier can just trade away the, all his third round picks. And I don't even think they have fourth round picks because they don't need them. <laughs> I think they can trade them for future drafts and uh, take their first four picks or so. And uh, I think they're golden for the season, but uh, I don't think that will ever happen, but I would love to see that. It, well, it is interesting. You know, we, we, it's hard to kind of discuss some draft day trades that could happen. Um, you know, you could see maybe, maybe Rubio does have something off his sleeve. Maybe the chaos are trying to move up a little bit more trade back too, because they have two first round picks. Definitely interesting to kind of see if we see any draft day trades. So I definitely uh, like that thought process, you know, last year, um, I think one that was really exciting for everyone to see unfold was Gobrecht going from the Archers to the Water Dogs, and that proved to be a big, big trade that made an impact, um, you know, on both both those teams. So yeah, definitely, definitely interesting uh, to see. Um, I don't have any hot takes, but I'm definitely excited. I, I'm excited to watch this live draft too on ESPN. Um, I think it's going to be great to be able to watch it on ESPNU, where we've been able to watch so many college lacrosse games. It's going to be a seamless transition going from watching college lacrosse on ESPN to watching the PLL on ESPN this summer. So certainly looking forward to that. But that's going to do it for us. Reminder that this episode is available on any podcast as well as on YouTube. You can watch on Spotify as well. If you enjoyed it, subscribe, leave us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. Thank you, Joe and Jake, for joining us. And thank you guys all for listening to another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk.